Welcome to the Buffalo Legal Podcast. I'm John Lavelle, and I'm here with Joshua Ramos, an attorney from Ramos and Ramos Attorneys. How are you, Josh? Doing well today, John. How's everything going, brother? It's going great. And we have two other guests with us. We have Kemal Irk, and we have Victoria. How are you doing, Victoria? Good. How are you, John? All right. Now, I saved Kemal for last because he's our guest. Kemal, did I pronounce everything right? Absolutely, John. All right, man. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So, how long? Uh, how long have you been a lawyer? Well, I graduated from uh, UB Law School in 2016, um, and wow, time has flown. Um, yeah, yeah, it's been a few years now, but it's a uh, it's been an interesting and fun, rewarding journey. Nice, nice. Hey, I see on the uh, on the bio that you have on the Ramos and Ramos webpage there, or, or internet goody stuff man i'm gonna to have to record that again well, i won't though uh that you collect like uh sports memorabilia buffalo sports memorabilia yes uh well interesting enough that started off as a way to sort of uh make some money when i was in law school so i can continue you know going out having fun and you know when you're in law school you're incruing debt while the, a lot of your friends are making money, you know, who didn't pursue the legal path. So I had to find some way to keep up. And interesting enough, I was like, well, you know, I could uh, use my head and find something that I'm good at and find something that interests me. And I would go out, I'd hit the street, estate sales, garage sales, auctions. And, you know, you never know what you're going to find out there. And there's guys all over the U.S. who, you know, grew up in Buffalo, found jobs elsewhere when Buffalo wasn't uh, the thriving, you know, renaissance that it is today, and they're willing to, you know, shell out the cash for it. So eBay was sort of like a, a lifeline for me in one way, and um, I've made friends, and it's been a very interesting journey. A lot of these friends are over 60 years old, but <laughs> so be it. <laughs> so I, uh, I, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Josh also collects, uh, like, Buffalo <clears throat> sports memorabilia, uh, the pride of his collection, though, if you didn't know, is his Nathan Peterman jersey. Um, Josh, how long have you had that Nathan Peterman jersey? Uh, about three years, four years. I think during his last year, we picked it up right after he had his 20 interception game. Um, I can't wait to get that thing signed by my favorite Buffalo quarterback of all time. You know, he probably threw the most passes to another team ever. So, dude's a legend. He is. He is. I'm a little biased on him because I went to University of Pittsburgh, so I was also with Joss. I had a lot of faith in him, and uh, it just it just didn't pan out for, for him here. <laughs> we should we should write him a letter about our disappointment. You know? Yeah, I heard he's super smart. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, I hear I hear he's a very smart, talented dude. I'll never just, forget when EJ Manuel, after that interception game, goes, "I can't believe this guy has a job and I don't." <laughs> did he really say that yes on twitter he, he came out and stood by it wow wow victoria do you collect anything i do not i wouldn't say that i'm an avid sports memorabilia collector myself oh yeah no 
right. I mean, I have jerseys for the you know local Buffalo teams, but nothing special. Nice. I saw you had a Josh Allen jersey. I do have a Josh Allen jersey. Me and my dad have matching Josh Allen jerseys that we kind of scope out and wear on our you know Bills Sundays. So that's awesome. So, uh, Josh, who's your favorite player right now? Oh, I don't really have one. I'm going. I'm going to go with Bates, the new guard. You know, I, I could go with the stereotypical, you know, Josh Allen fan, but Bates, the new guard man, really, really put our line to the next level the second half of the season. So I'm beyond happy right now that Bates is working out. He's nice. a master. How about you, Kemal? Oh, I'm definitely a big Stephon Diggs fan. I just like how he just keeps it cool. You know, he's very, his showmanship is very limited. Uh, he had a tough rep coming out of Minnesota and came here and just really, really proved everyone wrong. That's awesome. No, I uh, I think that's cool. I, I'm trying to think if I have a favorite guy. Uh, I just like them all. I'm just like, please win. That's all I want. But let's let's talk about football a little bit here. Um, is everybody familiar with the Brian Flores uh, lawsuit that's going on? How about you, Kemal? Oh, yes, um, definitely. I think it would be hard to avoid. It was you know, yeah. groundbreaking news for the NFL and a lot going on there, you know. It's the NFL is very different. It's it's a boys' club, just to say it in you know a very layman's term. So you don't really know. You got to kind of dissect what comes out through media. But yeah, it's 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 very interesting, very fascinating to say the least. Now, Josh and I uh, did a video podcast about it, uh, where we go into extreme depth about the lawsuit. Um, and you can you can catch that on YouTube. You can also catch that on Facebook. But uh, Josh, can you give us a, a quick rundown of everything that's going on with it? And then after that, I want to kind of take it in a little different direction. All right. Well, to break it down into a twenty second spiel, so to speak, uh, Brian Flores, coach in the NFL. He's African American. He had a two great seasons in Miami considering what team the team he has around him what the front office did and cutting down players and the only two winning seasons they had in a row in what 20 years and when they kept all these white coaches for years and years with losing season losing season losing season um, he has two winning seasons and gets fired Uh, then he goes to New York Giants to have a fictitious interview just be, to comply with the Rooney rule. Um, and they already gave the job, per his sources, which includes text from Bill Belichick, they already gave the job away to Brian Dayball. You know, all the power to Brian Dayball, but, you know, he wanted to have a legit shot for the job and said, look, at uh, my community as African-American coaches, we have been disenfranchised and um, there's essentially the entire NFL is against us. And then you go back, look at the numbers. There's 58% African-American players. There's one African-American coach, and now there's two because I guess Lovey Smith just got hired in Texas mm-hmm. um, or in Houston. And uh, there's, you know, barely any general managers, and there's all, you know, non-African-American owners. So, you know, we made a claim under Section 1981, which says, hey, as a result of me being African-American, I can't get under contract or – I don't have the same ability as essentially white folks. So that's what the suit's about. Yeah. Now, let's talk about the Lovey Smith thing. From what I heard, and I, I might not be correct, but they basically, Houston, 
from what I heard, abandoned. They, they started their search. They had a couple of guys that they liked, then just abandoned the guys that they liked and out of nowhere hired Lovey Smith. Is that is that what essentially went on, that, or am I wrong? Well, I think you're right in repeating some stories that you heard, but, yeah. you know, you and I, we won't know. We're not yeah, in the true. Houston front office. You know, we have no idea. But also my concern is after the lawsuit came down, I'm thinking like, hey, was there some owners meeting that said, you know, there's five spots left. One of you guys have to hire a black guy. Who knows? Mm. You know, we, we're we not privy to those meetings, I, I, you know, especially being uh, lowly guys in Buffalo. We're probably yeah. not cool enough to hang out with Roger Goodell and all the owners. Yeah, no. Them it's, and their private jets. The private jets. Well, you know, someday maybe we'll have private jets too. The one thing <laughs> that I thought was interesting, and I'll throw this one to you, Kemmel, is, uh, well, first I want to know, how do you think this is all going to shake out in the end? How long do you think this is going to take the Brian Brian Flores lawsuit? I mean, it, just guess. I'm not holding you to it. I mean, it's tough to say. I think, you know, if, if they admit that his allegations are correct, I think that's going to really make the league look bad. So my anticipation is that they're, they're going to fight this out, and, you know, given it's a class action. Well, it's going to be fought out tooth and nail. I firmly agree with Josh on that. I, I think admitting fault here would be a real stain on, you know, the NFL and, and their history. So this is going to this is going to go on for a while, and, you know, I respect Flores for stepping up and, you know, I, a lot of the uh, uh, allegations in the complaint aren't really specified towards him personally, but more the culture and trying to uh, change the culture for uh, African American and people of color in, within the league. Yeah, I think that's the, the number one request there is, you know, he, although he has some monetary claims, he really just wants to see some systemic changes in the NFL and their hiring processes yeah no i think that's good the other thing that came out um was the accusation about uh being offered to be paid to lose um i mean what is that really we've seen it in other sports where maybe they weren't offered to be paid to lose but we knew like with the sabers they got rid of a bunch of good players, and we knew they were just shooting for the bottom. Well, that was that Jack Eichel, Connor McDavid draft yeah. year, where if you look at the year before, when we finished last or second last with, uh, I think, Edmonton, um, anytime we had a good goalie that year, the goalie all of a sudden looked good, he was traded away. Yeah. You know, the front office was definitely trading away good players and it was let's shoot for the bottom and it's not uncommon in sports you know to hear of tank it's talked about on sports radio all the time you know and that's the uh, Miami Dolphins they wanted to tank the year that uh, who was the quarterback it was Joe Burrow you know they wanted to tank for Joe Burrow and lo and behold Fitz Magic was the quarterback won some games well, I think it was Fitz but they wanted to tank for Joe Burrow and ended up getting two, I think, mm. you know, it, or could have gotten Joe. Yeah. But it, it tanks common, but, you know, that's, that's really – and I think they're looking at it saying, hey, I'm a black coach, you want me to tank, and, you know, you fail as a head coach, no one's going to want to hire you. Go look at Hugh Jackson in uh, Cleveland. I think he went 1-31 in two seasons. 
who's hired him since? You know, what other head coaching opportunities has he had? You know, and, and we're saying, hey, you'll be the sacrificial lamb so we can get our, you know, Joe Burrow. And now you're out of a job and you did what they wanted to tank. And hey, we might have made another hundred grand a year, but now I just, or hundred grand a game, but I just lost out on millions of income opportunity because I tanked for you. Hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I, it's interesting. I didn't think of it that way. You know, I, I was thinking about it like um, keeping the, that's like a player, you know, like Pete Rose, you know, betting on, on his team to lose and maybe, maybe, you know, making them lose, um, you know, so like, I mean, is that rampant through sports? Does this happen a lot? I mean, and how does that affect, uh, we now have legal sports booking, book, you know, in, in Buffalo or in New York, and uh, how does that affect me as the better? Well, it goes to the integrity of the game, but, you know, my biggest interest is the uh, the, the guy that's the main owner in Miami. My understanding is he has interest, ownership interest in some of these betting companies. So that's the concern. And, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, if your team sucks and you want to bet that they're not going to cover, it is what it is. Nice. But it goes to the integrity of the game. Unfortunately, that's not something that we're really suing about or can sue because it's like wrestling. You can't sue because – you know, your guy didn't win, the, your, your favorite wrestler didn't win the Royal Rumble. Mm. And I think it's interesting that uh, it's glorified in, in many ways. Everyone's heard the trust the process. In reality, that just means, hey, we're bottoming out and we are sacrificing. You know, we're, we're trading out our good players. We're going for the, we're, we're putting our faith in the draft. And uh, it's glorified as trust the process. That's what I tell Victoria. I'm like, Victoria, just trust the process. We'll uh, we'll get you to fail your classes. She's our little intern here. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. Now to the part that I really wanted to get to: craziest cases you've had. Cam, you go first, man. You got, you have any crazy cases? I do. This one is um, this is a tearjerker to to say the least, and this is definitely one of those instances where. Um, it's the part, tough part about the job, and this is where you, you have to advocate for your client and you know, do what's best for your client, and you, 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 you have this job. you gotta, gotta do, you got to do your role. So uh, we had a, a, a kid, 12, 12 years old, 11 years old, over at a friend's house, and they were unsupervised. This was out in a rural area. Um, the father had ATVs. So the kids are out on ATVs, totally unsupervised. The parents don't know. Uh, my client's uh, parents are unaware that he's on this ATV, and the kid ends up getting in a fairly bad uh, ATV accident. You know, broken collarbone, several other broken bones. Um, you know, God forbid, no missing limbs or anything because ATVs can be extremely dangerous, but young kids. So uh, the insurance company for the property disclaims uh, coverage, saying, we're not responsible, you don't, you don't pay for this. Um, so... We uh, ended up having to file suit personally against the homeowner. The, the mother was extru- of our client was extremely upset. And this is the moment where you, you have to do your job. So uh, he never responded to the lawsuit, and what you can do is move for default judgment. So we move for default judgment, and our day in court comes. And I'm arguing the motion for default judgment. The defendants never show up. It's just how it is it's 
you don't expect them to show up. They have never responded. You know, they've been given, given many opportunities, and they, they just don't show up. But on this day, the father showed up. The, the homeowner showed up. And he gets there, and he is having a slew of medical issues. He is having this, like, extreme skin or rash uh, issue, and all his skin is peeling off his face. He's, he's bright red, and immediately you just feel bad for this guy. Is it because he knew you were on the other side and you made him nervous? Uh, likely so, but... <laughs> so we, we, we get up there, and before we can say anything to the judge, this guy brings in a translator because he's, he's deaf and he uh, needs to communicate. And this wasn't a translator appointed by the court. This was just someone that he brought in. So... He gets up there, and just the, the noise that he's making, he's so upset, and he's just signing as fast as he can, and the translator can't even keep up, just going back and forth, and everyone in the courtroom just starts crying their eyes out. Um, the, the father starts getting into, I just went through a terrible divorce, I have nothing, you know, this house is the only thing I have, um, there's nothing I could do. I can't pay for this. You know, my wife has taken everything. You know, these 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 kids are, are friends. These these they're best friends. You know, I I didn't mean for any of this to happen. I didn't mean for them to be on the ATVs. They they come over to my house all the time. There's kids over at my house all the time. He's he's he said I I felt like there was nothing I could do. And you know, the mom of my clients in tears. The kids in tears. And I'm, you know, I'm trying to console them. And you know, it was it, it was quite a scene. But you know, the judge had to do his job and, and gave us uh, the verdict in our favor. But just, just to have that moment and, and see, you know, how this ch- changes lives, it's, you got to do your job. Yeah, and, and it's not, you know, here, we, uh, like our firm, we're not going after homeowners. You know, at the end of the day, it's about getting an insurance policy. And it's these insurance companies all the time. They try to find one excuse to say, yeah, I'm not paying out my clients. My insured is on the on their own. And, you know, you're out there paying State Farm, Allstate, whoever to insure you as the homeowner. And, you know, there's steps we have to take in order to essentially make them liable for payment. Um, and, and, it, you know, our goal is not to ruin anyone's life. You know, even though it was caused by a car accident that, you know, let's say someone's on their phone and they were in someone, that person needs surgery. We're, you know, people make mistakes. We're not trying to ruin anyone's life, but it's the insurance companies, man, that we pay for. To me, there's some car car companies that advertise all the time with their little lizards. I think they're the worst company around. And anyone who has them, I'm like, you need to get someone else. So I tell my own clients that all the time because, you know, even though they're your insurance company, they're not there for you. They're out there to not pay. Mm-hmm. And they want to find every excuse under the sun to not pay. And it's it's unfortunate. And may I add that this was not at Ramos and Ramos. This was no. We don't make prior. we don't make people yeah. cry here. Um, but I do have uh, other attorneys. Couple. Yes, but not <laughs> but not people. We make other attorneys cry. I I plead the fifth on that. <laughs> uh, so so we got another one. I do have another one to to trail off of Josh's comment there. So um, another uh, client we were representing was a police officer, and he was doing a wellness check for a woman who was suicidal and and her family was really concerned they didn't hear from her and and this was a big issue so the police officer tries to get in through the front door can't 
a couple of police officers stay in the front. He goes to the back. And the back, there's a handicapped entrance, but it's wooden, it's falling apart, it's covered in moss and just algae and, and growth that has, I mean, it's been neglected for decades, clearly. So the police officer tries to get up there, you know, climbs this ramp and ends up slipping and falling and is paralyzed, you know, falls so hard that he's paralyzed. Um, oh. We end up having to, you know, fight this out and it goes to a non-binding arbitration. The insurance company offers him nothing. Can I ask a question? Uh, for Because uh, I'm a layperson, what is a non-binding arbitration? Josh, would you like to take this one? Yeah, I'll take that one. It's uh, Essentially, you go in, it's a mediation. You go in front of someone and uh, you get the insurance company in there, oh, I'm paying two grand. And then we as plaintiff's attorneys who are trying to, you know, we can't heal a client, but we can try to make up for it as much as we can. Like, and, you know, the law right now says money's the answer. So, you know, you, you, we come in and say, we want $5 million. The insurance company says no. The mediator will listen to your side, the insurance defense side, and, you know, they say, maybe you can come down, maybe we can come up. And it's, it's really, you know, point of settlement is no one walks away with a perfect result, but maybe we can meet in the middle somewhere and get, you know, everyone walks away a little unhappy, but we all kind of get something at the end. Okay. Now, you know, you go to binding arbitration, which is, I got one coming up Friday. You submit your papers, your case on paper form, and then you do a couple minutes of testimony. And then it's either a one person or a three panel uh, arbitration uh, or group of attorneys who are act as your arbiters and they say hey we decided as a whole that the defendant's negligent and the award is 275 so that's binding and we are obligated to stick with that uh, versus non-binding which is i can get you four hundred thousand dollars i can get you a hundred thousand dollars and it's your choice you can walk away and then pursue the legal option and hopefully get your jury trial oh all right all right. So, all right. Back to the story, Camel. Yeah. Just to ultimately conclude, you know, as Josh was saying, it doesn't matter what walk of life you come from. This was a police officer checking on, you know, a woman who was in a very, very desolate part of her life and in a very desolate, you know, mental uh, capacity. And here he is just being, you know, a hero in a sense. And the insurance company, they're just not out there to, to help many times. And you know, it's uh, it's unfortunate, but certainly the the harsh reality. Well, Kemmel talks about like the craziest scenarios that make you kind of want to be upset because we love police officers and they, you know, it's unfortunate what happened to that guy. But we have some other ones too that some of them are kind of unique and uh, something we'll talk about down the road, kind of like the coffee case, you know, from McDonald's. But we had uh, <clears throat> we had one where a professional dancer. When I say dancer, I'm not trying to say the club dancer but a professional dancer she uh goes and you know like mo a lot of ladies do goes and gets uh, a waxing or clean up and i guess the wax was probably 70 degrees too hot and while she has gigs and stuff lined up um she ended up burning the crap out of her legs mm. and um it was just so funny talking to the insurance adjusters they're like, yeah, we're not trying this case. We're going to pay and because they didn't want to 
get to get into this lady, nice looking girl. It's her livelihood. Too. Yeah, it's her livelihood. But on top of it, we start getting into some intimate discussions in front of the jury, which honestly, you never know how they're going to react. But this professional dancer gets a wax from a professional and literally just gets burnt up. And the, it was the oddest and craziest injury I probably and most unique injury I've ever seen. And, you know, but at the end of the day, you look at it like, hey, you have a, you're a professional, you have a job to do. And if I was to go, you know, if I got a wax, I'd probably go get the beard trimmed or something. Um, but it, you'd expect them to do a decent job and not burn your face. So, and here they burnt her. Yeah. And, you know, the wax was just way too hot. You can't put 300-degree wax on you. You know, you'll burn through your freaking whole oh, body. Oh, I know. I, I've, I've gotten stuff waxed before. Not your wife did say you got the, uh, the uh, Brazilian, you know. I don't know how that works, <laughs> but. <laughs> um, but, uh, but. And that stuff is hot. It is ridiculously hot. I'm going to do the one where they do your whole face except your eyebrows <laughs> including like they they load up your nostrils with wax oh. and then just yank oh, it out yeah. with the toothpicks. I see it on the, the on the reels and on the TikTok and I'm like, "Oh my god, I feel, I would die." You're like, "I'm I'm too much of a baby. My wife turns on Grey's Anatomy and I have a heart attack." Mm. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> All right, so when it comes to our next case that we're going to talk about, um, we're going to talk about the case involving Travis Scott and Live Nation. Um, there was a case over the summer, hundreds of World lawsuits uh, formally combined into one single um, giant case. Are you guys familiar with this case by any chance? I am familiar. Yeah, and I think, uh, Victoria, you got to work on your segues here, you know, like... Yeah. <laughs> She's like, and another news. Let's talk about Travis Scott. <laughs> I was going, really I was going, I was going for the uh, news reporter type. So that's that's the one where they did this. And correct me where I'm wrong. They did this big concert. All these famous celebrities, including Trevor Trevor Scott. Who, Travis who is it? Travis Scott. Trevor Travis. Travis. Scott? Yeah, they must be very familiar. Yes. <laughs> the, the country singer. Uh, but no, they do this huge concert and. John, you're you're a big music guy. Tell me at the Travis Scott concert with all these guys, what what, what happened? You know, from uh, the layperson, non-attorney perspective. From the non-attorney perspective, everything got out of control, man. That thing, they, it first started getting like it was crazy, it was lit, you know, and then next thing you know, people are getting trampled, and I mean, that's I've I've actually been at a, at a concert where um, somebody was almost trampled uh way back this is going to date me way back in 1992 or 93 i went and saw stone temple pilots with butthole surfers and uh and everybody from the yard oh i hit my mic here everybody from the yard the 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 lawn seats decided they were going to charge at darien lake they were going to charge the fence and they actually pushed the fence down and it was a chain link fence, and then they started running through that gap. And uh, I'm only like 15 or 16 at the time, and I'm just like, oh my God. And I'm like sitting in the regular seats watching this crowd of people who have also took the turf and started throwing it. So they've pull, pulled up the sod and started throwing it. Was, it was nuts. So I assume that this was like that, but like times 100. Yeah, so they were all in, I guess you could say, the front section of the arena. And how it was is the crowd was pushing 
towards the stadium, but obviously towards security the was towards the stage, and the people, the security guards were obviously pushing them back. But in that instance, there was no movement, no room for people to go anywhere, so everyone was just getting trampled and. So there was about almost 400 people who, including some deaths, that were injured in this case, and hundreds and hundreds of lawsuits came out, and essentially they consolidated them because at the end of the day, you're proving one issue. Were they negligent in providing security? So Kem and I actually, um, we had a case on negligent security in a facility. We have a couple of them, actually. And, you know, if you're a public organization and you're hosting parties, you have a duty to provide security, you know, especially if you have people drinking, you have a duty to provide security, you know, that's why bars have bouncers, that's why they have security personnel, Um, concerts, you know, those are always a big one, because sometimes things get out of control, you know, you have a rock band, you know, you have someone there that's, you know, you know, they're going to be doing some moshing, which is like the punch fight, punch dancing, I would say. Punch, punching, pushing, and just kicking around. You hit someone, a fight might break out. you got to have security personnel. Um, and here the theory is it was Live Nation. I think Travis Scott was actually the headliner of this and probably the top guy, so they're blaming him as well. But it was at this festival, they didn't provide enough security and have enough organization here to prevent these people from being trampled and from getting injured and no plan was in place or an inadequate plan was in place to prevent all this. So I think there's a few things to sort of preface this. Uh, first being that this was in Houston and uh, that is where he's from. So obviously this is going to have the largest following of any, and the best way to describe it is not a concert. You know, this is an Elton John at Key Bank Arena. This is a festival. This is a multiple day festival and it, it brings a different vibe, to say the least, and it's almost a culture. Um, and there's, and also with the defendants, there's there's definitely several defendants that you have to look at in different ways. You know, Travis Scott, we just bring him up, is you have to look at his history and what he is incited at previous concerts. You know, he he's been um, recorded inciting people to push past security, to knock down barriers. He he has that he has that history you know so there's there's definitely different um ways you have to look at each defendant and certainly you know the culture of what this was i mean there's there's a ferris wheel here and like it's it's a whole it's a two days uh, my understanding was this was two days so it's the culture is very different than what the word concert i think brings to mind it's a it's a festival and so on the legal side, what's really interesting is so you have 400 people can sue, and we'll use New York as the example. In New York, you have to sue in the county of which the plaintiff or one of the defendants reside. Hmm. Um, and so let, let's see, you know, this is in Texas. You know, we're not all coming from one county. I guarantee you, like, hell, we have a concert here in Buffalo. We have people from Niagara, Chautauqua, Cataraugus coming in for – one concert at Key Bank Center or whatever it's called now in, in Erie County. Not everything's going to be in Erie County. But let's say it happened here, the legal issues are all the same. Were they ne- Essentially, were they negligent in providing security? Did they have adequate security? Did they have a security plan? Did they have personnel there? The issue's the same. So we have all these lawsuits that have all come out in different counties and different jurisdictions inside the state of Texas 
And then the defendants, you know, could you imagine this? So I'm an attorney, and let's say I do insurance defense work and I join the dark side. Um, I'm defending 300, 400 lawsuits in all across the state, and there's not enough of me to go around. You know, I personally, you know, let's say I'm the, the number one attorney, I know everything about it. You know, and then, um, you know, here it's Live Nations one, Travis Scott's the other. You want to hire one attorney to run things. So essentially, these defendants, they wanted to consolidate everything. And so what essentially, for discovery purposes and moving the case along, everything was combined into one case. So it's one judge overseeing discoveries. Everyone get their Q&As in. Can you all do your depositions? Let's all work together as a team. And what's nice is a plaintiff side. So there's different kinds of law firms there's on plaintiff's attorneys and we see them all the time there's the solo practitioner there's the large big advertising ones and then there's the medium-sized ones and they all have different capabilities of what money they can spend in pushing a case you know not not saying that one's better than the other but everyone has different financial means and you know suits like this they get pricey you know we got a suit in new york city that we're not even close to settling and we're 150 grand into in expenses. And that's just for one person. And could you imagine if you had three or four defendant plaintiffs and you have to prove this against live nation and you know, they're going to be paper and the crap out of you sending you motions, sending you discovery requests, sending you um, deposition requests. They want everything under the sun to make your life difficult. The benefit is of these plaintiffs attorneys is you can kind of tack on to the legal work of everyone else. You know, like I always say, don't reinvent the wheel. So it's easier on the defendants to defend these cases and only push the case in one jurisdiction versus having motions that are all identical in 30 jurisdictions or 40 or 50. You know, so it's easier for the defense to defend and they can just do one concise defense and it's easier for some of the plaintiffs to prosecute because maybe they're not really in the position that they could afford to spend 70 grand on security experts to prove this is what went wrong. Yeah. So it's an interesting legal uh, scenario there, but they ended up consolidating the cases. Well, it's very interesting that the question that Victoria and I had uh, as lay people is, is does that hurt? Uh, and I'll throw this to you, Camel. Does that hurt the individual when it goes to a class? Well, I know a big part of it is just making sure that, you know, there's not all different judges involved ruling on the same issue in all different ways. So it just depends how how you look at it. You know, do you want everyone to make sure that there's a consensus when there's a decision? Likely, I think that is for the best. Hmm. Well, and it could hurt, you know, so let's say, What's the best example? Some phone company, here's a, I forgot what telephone provider it was, but they were charging everyone two bucks a bill. You know, like we ever look at your national fuel bill and there's the access fee, the, the monitoring fee, the, the, the measurement fee. and fee this, the fee, fee that. Fee on yeah. top, fee FIFO fum fee, and then <laughs> another $2 for the hell of it fee. But the, it turned out the $2 was wrong. So for two bucks, I'm not hiring a law firm to go sue for $12 for six months of fee. And because, you know, why would I spend hundreds and thousands of dollars on hiring an attorney to get 24 bucks? Mm. So the benefit to the class is you can take everyone who's been aggrieved and say, hey, John, you're the first one to bring this to me. 
But, and I'm using this as an example, National Fuel, for, for instance, if that was to happen with them, which I'm not saying it is, they service 5 million households. So we'll just sue on behalf of John Lavelle and John Doe 1 through 100 as a class. And because now it's, as an attorney, I don't have to worry about collecting my money from John. I'll get it out of the end lawsuit, and everyone will get 15, 20 bucks out of it. Um, so that's the benefit to it. The downside, though, is when you have a class, <clears throat> if everyone's damages are a little bit differently, you know, and here this really wasn't a class, but in the Travis Scott case, um, but if everyone has different levels of damage, for instance, I broke my arm or I need three back surgeries, those are different levels of damages. Oh, yeah. you, you know, if it ends up being a class and there's one big settlement, then, you know, you're not getting most more likely than not, you're not getting what you actually deserve and are entitled to because everyone, you know, you did a group global, you did a global settlement and everyone's taking a piece of that pie. Um, but I think what they did here is combined it all for pushing the case forward Mm -hmm. because here, I think, what was there, eight or 10 deaths and then everyone had different levels of injury. So obviously, you know, a death compared to someone who broke a bone, those are two different levels of injury. So they combined it all for pushing the case along. And that happens quite often in New York, Florida, everywhere. If you have five people who are injured and they all sue around the same time, the courts will say, Hey, for judicial efficacy and, you know, to speed it along, let's just combine you guys all and you guys all work together to push this because I don't want to be the one judge issuing one decision while another judge issues another decision. Then another judge says something else. Let's just put everyone together. And for at least for a purpose of pushing the case along settlements, those will be individual. Got it. Got it. All right. So that's cool. I like that answer. So we're doing a podcast. We all like podcasts. I listen to podcasts. I'm sure you guys listen to podcasts. So is everybody familiar with the Joe Rogan, Spotify, uh, Neil Young issue going on right now? I'm vaguely familiar with that. I know he stood by, you know, paying, he paid Joe Rogan exclusively, right, to... Spotify did. Yeah, Spotify did. Yeah, so Spotify, yeah. Top paid... Yeah, yeah, didn't Spotify give Joe Rogan a huge contract and it said, hey, here's your contract. I'm I'm going to be the sole platform for, or Spotify is going to be the sole platform for your podcast. Correct. All right. And the line was, we don't want to silence him. You know, we want to give him a platform to express himself. Exactly. From Spotify. And, yeah, so they have this huge contract and he says some things which were inaccurate or... You know, and now it's coming out. They're removing all the podcasts where the N word was used. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, in the cancer cult, cancel culture today, it was Neil Young who responded. Neil Young, yeah. For Victoria, who doesn't um, know Neil Young, he he was back in the '60s. Uh, he made music, and I mean, that's the one thing that I want to talk about is for Neil Young to step away. Um, that's an easy one because, you know, he's probably only making like three cents off of Spotify. But like if you had somebody that was really popular, like um, let's just say someone who's popular now, um, Megan the Stallion or one of these, you know, uh, like she's not walking away. She's not going to be like, I'm turning down all this money just because of, you know, what this guy says about COVID. You know, I mean, I don't think people really care that much i don't know what got with this old guy i mean i don't know in my opinion people can say what they want to say 
Well, you can, but what the old guy, you know, Mr. Young, is Mr. saying Young. is that, look at if you're going to keep airing fictitious information about COVID, and listen, Joe has admitted that he has been wrong at times, um, including on COVID, and, you know, we can't use, uh, what is it, like the time clock argument saying, hey, it's 4 o'clock, but it's two, and then you keep repeating yourself, and you're eventually correct because it'll be four. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he was wrong on some things, and, you know, science has proven, you know, or with, the, you know, like Omicron came out, and it changed up some of the facts with all that. So I was like, oh, look, I was right the whole time. No, you weren't. Omicron changed things, and now you would be right. So he was saying some things that were incorrect, and, you know— Look at the news today from CNN and Fox. They're just trying to say things that gets more viewers and increases ratings. So Neil comes down and says, if you're going to let this guy play, I don't want my stuff on your platform. He essentially said, I'm boycotting it. Pull my stuff. That's interesting. Um, Now, how does that relate to, because Neil is kind of like, I don't know, in my opinion, kind of messing with, Joe Rogan's, you know, income. I mean, not, you know, his bread and butter. He has a contract with Spotify. He's trying to, Neil Young is trying to leverage his uh, popularity and music to get this kind of taken off. I mean, can that not be, and me looking up a legal term here, I did not know this. Can it be tortious interference with a contract? Yeah. So, well, listen, you could sue anyone for anything. It doesn't mean you're going to win. So tortious interference of contract is... By the way, I think that's the second time, the second week in a row you told me that, which is a good thing, that I can sue anybody, but it doesn't mean I'll win. Yeah, and you might have to pay penalties for suing someone for... I see the McDonald's coffee. Don't get too excited. Yeah, because you're going to sue somebody for saying something wrong about you. Yeah, I know. I know. So I want to do that, too, to all those naysayers. But the, the tor- so back to the main point, the tortious interference of contract. So tort, tortious means you did something wrong and I could sue you, and then the cause of action is interference with my contract. So if you're purposely interfering with a contract maliciously, you know, and there's each state has their own elements if they even allow the claim to potentially survive, but, you know, at the end of the day, he it's, stuff has to be done maliciously, and it's like... You know, let's say, who, what's a popular food distributor? McDonald's, right? Yeah. And you find out, <clears throat> and this is all hypothetical. Don't sue me, McDonald's, please. Um, let's say, say you find out they're getting all their food, all their potatoes for their little string potato fries from migrant, un, migrant off-the-book workers, and they have a contract with that farm. And you as a customer, consumer, say – publicly i'm not going to buy from mcdonald's anymore and you should boycott them too until they stop paying migrant workers who are off the books you know and that's your right Hmm. you can boycott at any time especially if you have a legit reason and here it's like hey as neil young i don't want my platform that i'm on to be promoting bad information and if that's his opinion then that's fine Hmm. so there's not going to be a lawsuit out of it um, I think the only reason why I brought it up is because at one time he did have an open letter to Spotify out on the internet, and he has since taken it down um, because I think some of the things that might have been in there uh, could have been. And of course, I don't have the letter in front of me. 
Well, way to be prepared. I know, exactly. Um, <laughs> but, you know, this is what we call hearsay podcasting, you know? That's why I always have to say don't sue me, you yeah. know? Uh, but, no, that's definitely the issue is he just didn't like it. He wants to do a boycott, and it's all about how you go about it. And if you have a legit reason for it, then all the power to you. But, you know, now if you're purposely doing it with the intention of canceling Joe and you don't have any basis for it, then that's another because it could be said you're acting maliciously. And I think everyone knows that no matter what side you're on, the coronavirus has been quite a contentious issue Mm. amongst people, especially on the social media, you know, where everyone's super nice to each other when they have opposite viewpoints. Yeah, we, you know, Victoria and I uh, have often thought about, uh, we saw some letters or some things, articles from across the pond um, that mentioned that people are looking into COVID as a workplace, uh, you know, accident, you know, where you could actually do workers' comp for COVID. I find that hard to believe because how would you prove that you've got covid at the workplace um but i don't know we gotta stop sharing food with me then john i know well that's what you like the flats i like the drumsticks that's That's how wings are supposed to be eaten you find your compatible wing partner only with ranch right oh never with (laughs) (laughs) never it's a sin Never. It's a sin. All right, guys. I was scared well, for a second. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for hanging out with me. Uh, I really appreciate it. Kemmel uh, is awesome. He's a great attorney here at Ramos and Ramos. Josh, thanks as usual for coming by. And Victoria, thanks for stopping by with your, uh, your insight about uh, Trevor Scott. <laughs> I mean, Travis Scott. You're welcome, John. All right. John, so. always, always love doing the Buffalo Legal Podcast with you. And if anyone else wants to hear us how would they happen to hear us well they can find us on spotify they can find us on soundcloud uh facebook and uh there'll be a link in our instagram for the spotify but uh yeah if you want to listen come on over like us uh subscribe ring the bell do what everybody else says to do that's what you need to do so until next time i'm john lavelle and this is the buffalo legal podcast thank you